0: Good morning, Christ City Church. Uh, My name is Matthew Watson, and I serve as pastor of teaching and outreach here at Christ City. Uh, Thank you for joining us for today's service. Uh, Thank you to all of you on the Zoom call. Uh, Thank you for lending your voices to the service during our responsive readings uh, and to our prayers. Uh, thank you to those of you that are watching our stream on uh, on our YouTube channel. Uh, grateful for you and that you found your way there. Please uh, subscribe to our channel and hit the thumbs up button on that channel if you're able. Uh, it helps us out a lot and it helps others who are look, looking for a church like Christ City uh, to be able to find us. And, and frankly, it helps our team here know that we're not simply shouting into the internet wilderness uh, but that our church family is with us. So do us a solid, hit the like button, uh, subscribe to the channel, uh, and then check out the other videos that are on the channel as well. Um, I also want to say thank you uh, to Stacey Aisha Bay for uh, leading us in worship this morning. Uh, thank you for sharing your gifts and your passion for Christ with us uh, and for pointing us towards the one who is mighty to save, the, the one who is great, the one who is marvelous in all ways and in all things. Um, we have, uh, I have, uh, needed uh, that this morning. So, Stacy, thank you uh, again. Um, as has been mentioned, uh, Pastor Justin and Carolyn, they had their beautiful baby this week, a beautiful baby girl, Catherine Junior. Uh, they're at home resting. Uh, Mom and baby are doing fine. Uh, Daniel, their son, is excited for a baby sister. Uh, so let's pray, uh, please, uh, let's pray for them. As they adjust to a family of four now and uh, we as a church, we just praise God uh, for the Fung family and especially uh, in this time of joy and welcome and new life. There's a lot of things to celebrate today. Um, Today is a special day in the life of the Christian church uh, around the world. Uh, Today is Palm Sunday. Uh, Palm Sunday is the day in the Christian calendar that is the Sunday before Easter Sunday, and it's used to mark Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem, ahead of his crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. Palm Sunday marks the beginning of Holy Week, the week leading up to Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. Uh, Palm Sunday is recounted in the Bible, in the Gospels, uh, in Mark 11, in Luke 19, John 12, and in the passage that we read in Matthew 21. Uh, Often during Palm Sunday, we look at what's referred to as Jesus' triumphal entry uh, into Jerusalem. Uh, We refer to it that way because there's a lot of fanfare that's associated with Jesus' entrance into the Jewish capital city. And as you may uh, already know, we call it Palm Sunday because the scriptures, they describe crowds waving palm branches in celebration of Jesus' arrival. Uh, We're going to look a bit more at Jesus' entry into the city in just a moment. But I have to say that personally this week, uh, today, that I, that I need Palm Sunday. I think we need it, perhaps more than we are aware. Palm Sunday, it, it, it stands as a, as a shining light of hope in the midst of what has been a droning dirge of life's sorrows. Uh, the events of this week and, and this month, they continue to expose our country's addiction to violence, empire, and domination. The victims in Atlanta gunned down by one filled with both self-hate and Asian hate. The the eight victims in Boulder, Colorado, losing their lives in an assault rifle-fueled mass murder that seems to find us in a traumatic cyclical loop of violence, outrage, excuses, and inaction, even as we look at the cold facts that it remains easier in this country to purchase a weapon of destruction than it is to register to vote. And that's just March. Uh, That is to say nothing of the ongoing racial injustice as the trials of the murderers of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, they continue at a glacial pace, and, and justice for Breonna Taylor remains painfully elusive. Coronavirus pandemic, it continues, uh, even as we see hope for light at the end of the tunnel. Vaccinations, they, they are continuing, albeit in a clunky and sometimes confusing way. The majority of D.C.'s children, they continue to be educated outside of the classroom, and consequently, they continue to fall farther and farther behind. These, these days, they, they can be stark days, because, well, they, they are stark days. And it is into the stark, the, the, the dark, the despondent days that we need Jesus to enter, and enter triumphantly. I, I, I need, we need Palm Sunday. Jesus' followers, I think they, they needed Palm Sunday too. This church, what I, what I want you to know is that Jesus understands our sorrows. As Aaron Dorsey shared last week, that God is a God who hears your groans, hears your cries and your sighs. He sees your tears and sees the injustice. God knows our needs. God is a, is a God who, who hears our prayers. As we have reflected over the past month, prayer is both communing with God and calling out to God that God make good on his promises of salvation and his promises of deliverance. You see, Jesus' arrival into that capital city 2,000 years ago was the first move of God making good on God's promises. The seasons leading up to Jesus' arrival into Jerusalem, they were filled with their own waves of violence and pandemic and oppression. News of of unrest and protest and mass murder, they hung in the collective air of Jesus' day just as it does in our day. A hundred years before Jesus' birth, Rome had seized control of Jerusalem. And the Caesar at the time, Antiochus Epiphanes, enacted a campaign to desecrate the temple in Jerusalem by demanding that sacrifices to Zeus be made there, an act of Shame and humiliation exercised on the backs of a defeated, colonized people. A generation before Jesus' birth in the town of Magdala, a town about as far from Jesus' home in Nazareth as the Tindley Town metro stop is from the Anacostia boathouse, Magdala was destroyed by Rome and its residents taken as slaves. Biblical scholars believe that Mary Magdalene was likely from this town, thus her name. Her ancestors may have been victims of the unspeakable violence that occurred there. Similarly, the town of Emmaus, where Jesus made his last walk following his resurrection on the road to Emmaus, it was likewise gutted by political, military, and economic devastation. With with each wave of the empire's violence against Israel's citizens, there lay in the wake burned homes and widowed brides and parentless children and all the evil byproducts of the machinations of widespread oppression in the name of nation building and national security. And wherever those living under the boot of oppression, wherever it is that they would speak out or push back, then Roman retaliation, it was wicked and it was far-reaching. The first century... Uh, Historian Jewish historian, Josephus, a contemporary of Jesus, wrote that Rome burned towns and rounded up anybody who resisted their occupation in any form and then crucified them. One Roman general, General Titus, was particularly noteworthy. He is said to have killed up to 500 folks daily. So many that Josephus notes, space could not be found for the crosses nor crosses for the bodies. Rome would crucify protesters labeling them bandits. You see, it's been a long tradition for empires to slander those protesting and longing for freedom and justice, calling them by names other than testifiers for change. Rome called them bandits. Today we might hear names like rioters or thugs, all in an attempt to delegitimize the cause of the oppressed and sanctify the work of militarism on the part of those in power. This that we experience, it is not new. The thing about Palm Sunday is that it is uh, within this context and into this cultural moment that Jesus then enters Jerusalem, a colonized capital, on a Sunday, just days ahead of the Jewish festival of Passover, the very holiday that memorializes Jewish liberation from slavery. Jesus, along with his disciples, they they came into Jerusalem with throngs of other religious pilgrims in order to celebrate the Passover To to remember the exodus from Egypt, to to worship and to pray and to cry and to dance and to feast and to remember that God, that Yahweh is the God who saves. This is is precisely what those waving palm branches that day were shouting. As as Matthew's gospel describes in Matthew 21, verse 9, The crowds that went ahead of him went ahead of Jesus, and those that followed, they shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. The crowds, they, 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 they waved palm branches, which were signs of royalty and signs of honor and respect. And they're shouting, Hosanna. Hosanna is a, is a Greek word meaning save us or the one who saves. You see, the thing is, what, what, what they're shouting, it's, it's actually a psalm that was sung by all of the pilgrims that were entering Jerusalem for Passover. It was uh, the words to Psalm 118, a psalm that says in verses five through seven, when hard pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. You see what they're singing they're singing protest songs. They're singing these, these ancient versions of We Shall Overcome. They're singing songs of liberation. They're, they're singing first century anthems of, of freedom in the midst of their captors. It's, a, it's the Palestinian version of Ain't gonna let nobody turn me round, turn me round. I'm gonna keep on walking. I'm gonna keep on talking, marching down to freedom land. Ain't gonna let Jim Crow turn me round, turn me round. Ain't gonna let no white supremacy turn me round, turn me round. I'm gonna keep on walking, keep on talking, marching up to freedom's land. They're, they're singing and they're protesting in the midst of an occupied capital surrounded geographically and historically by their captors and oppressors, yet, On the eve of their celebration, remembering a deliverance that took place generations ago and another salvation that they believed was just on the horizon. They sung sung a psalm that, that goes on in rousing fashion in verses 24 through 26. It says, the stone the builders rejected had become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice and be glad. Verse 25, Lord, save us. Hosanna. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is what Palm Sunday was. It was a protest. It was a celebration and an anticipation. It was a lament and a song for joy. Hosanna, Lord, save us just as you have done in the past. God, might you do so again. It was a, a declaration of independence and a declared belief that God was going to act and that it was going to be marvelous, as the psalmist says. Jesus, he comes in and he, and he joins the protests with his own message and with his own imagery. What Jesus is doing is, is, is he is engaged in a kind of street theater. He, he rides into town on a donkey and a ragged group of disciples. This isn't how liberators of cities enter. They enter on war horses wearing suits of battle, surrounded by well-trained and well-equipped soldiers, not these guys. Jesus, in contrast, he comes in surrounded by untrained, uneducated disciples. He, he comes in with guys that are they're like fishermen and former tax collectors and teenagers. None of them with any military training or any air of nobility. They're simple, they're, they're unassuming And Jesus, he's not astride like a stallion equipped for war, but he's riding in on the back of a borrowed ass. He's making a mockery of the ways of the world that celebrate the rich and the powerful. He's, he's communicating a message that said his kingdom wasn't going to be a better version of Rome. It wasn't going to be just a different type of dictatorship. It wasn't going, and it wasn't going to come by by simple acts of reform, as if one could simply reform the demonic powers of oppression. Jesus wanted to illustrate that the way out of Rome's grip, it, it, it wasn't, just an appealing to Rome by military might, but in an altogether alternative kingdom. The kingdom that Jesus entered demonstrating and proclaiming was a kingdom whose origins were found in God's great love for humanity, a kingdom whose goodness was sung in the songs of the psalmists who sang in the presence of Jesus that day, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When, when this scene is, is recounted in Luke 19, the, the Pharisees, they, they get angry at the people that are singing this psalm to Jesus. And they demand that Jesus command his followers, stop, tell them to stop singing. And Jesus replies in Luke 19, 40, he says, I tell you, speaking to the Pharisees, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones are going to cry out. The the worship of God and the exaltation of God's name and salvation, shouts of Hosanna, God save us, celebrations of God's rescue of humanity and soon renewal of all creation, they will not, cannot, won't not be kept silent. In the midst of Jesus' upside down, absurdly triumphal entry, worship was the music to which he marched. Songs of God's greatness and goodness. Songs reminding us that God is mighty to save. Songs of salvation is what carried Christ and his followers into the city. Not a donkey. But Palm Sunday is it's not only about Jesus arriving into Jerusalem, the place that would days later be the place of his murder. But Palm Sunday is it's also about what Jesus did when he arrived into the city. You see, as, as soon as Jesus enters the city, he, like so many other religious pilgrims that arrived into the city, he, he goes straightway to the temple. He goes to the, to the place designated as the location of the presence of God, the, the, the place one goes when one wants to fellowship with the Lord. When he, when he gets to the temple, he sees that it's overrun with, with money changers and those selling uh, animals, they're selling doves. And Jesus is moved to anger and he, and he runs them out. Continuing on in the story in verses 12 and 13, Jesus entered the temple, Matthew writes, and he entered the temple courts and he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Verse 13, it is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. In this passage, Jesus is quoting Isaiah 56, wherein the prophet, quoting the Lord, says that the temple is to be a house of prayer for all nations, for all peoples. Now, there's a few cultural issues that Jesus is addressing in this act of defiance. First, when pilgrims traveled to Jerusalem for Passover, they were required to make a sacrifice at the temple, an animal sacrifice. Because the, the pilgrims had traveled often for many days, they, they may not have brought a dove or a lamb or a goat or something with them to offer at the temple. And so there were those at the temple who sold what they needed. Now also because the pilgrims came from different places, they came with um, uh, the currency of their hometown, wherever it is they were from. There, there wasn't a unified currency then. And so they needed to change money to exchange money in the temple into Jerusalem currency. In order to buy a sacrifice. What is being sold, according to Matthew, is doves. If a sacrifice was to be made in the temple, a dove was one of the cheapest animals that one could sacrifice. Consequently, some scholars, many scholars, surmise that what is happening is a form of economic exploitation of the poor. Those in poverty were the most likely to come with no sacrifice and who would need to exchange money, thus losing money in the exchange, and then needing to purchase a dove at exorbitant prices. The other thing that's going on is the location of the financial transactions. The text says that Jesus enters the temple courts. The temple courts are the outermost parts of the temple. Uh, The the way that the temple was constructed, or the way it was structured, the center of the temple uh, was the holiest place. Only the priests could go there. And then there was a hierarchy of perceived holiness that radiated out from the center of the temple. and the outermost areas, that's where non-Jews could come, Gentiles. And for non-Jews, Gentiles, to come past the temple courts was to invite violence and death. There were actually signs in the temple that said Gentiles are prohibited. To cross past the outer courts. to come past this sign, is to invite pain of death. And it was here in the temple courts, the only place where those who were viewed as outside of the faith or viewed as other, it was in this place that the exploitation was occurring. Consequently, non-Jews were structurally prohibited from participating in the worship of God during the celebrated days meant to remember God's greatest acts of salvation. They were physically excluded from worship, So that economic exploitation could occur around the tables of commerce that had been erected in the outer temple courts. The very place that God intended to be a house of prayer for all peoples had become an economic enterprise intent on profiting off of the poor and excluding the foreigner. And Jesus turns it over. He condemns the practice he condemns the, the practices that are contrary to the characteristics of his kingdom and then he displays the true nature of his kingdom in verses 14 and following Matthew continues he says that the blind and the lame they came to him they came to Jesus at the temple in the temple courts and he healed them but when the chief priests and the teachers of the law when they saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts hosanna to the son of david they were indignant Verse 16, do you hear what the children are saying? They asked him, Jesus. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You, Lord, have called forth your praise. He he heals those that are sick. Jesus restores those that have been broken. He he binds up the wounded. He, He champions the children. The religious leaders, they, they demand that Jesus silence the children because they're singing Psalm 118 to Jesus. They're, they're worshiping the Lord. And the leaders of the day, they, they, they want it to stop. They don't want Jesus' worshiped. They, they don't want the wounded healed, and they don't want the vulnerable centered. They don't want God's kingdom on God's terms. And so what Jesus does is he, is he cleanses the temple. And he demonstrates the kingdom that he was inaugurating. I want to say that there's, there's so many days when, um, when I wish Jesus would return and he would cleanse the temple again. The mess that Christians have made of the name of Christ, the pain that the church has caused in the world, the ongoing church scandals, theologies of exclusion, and preachers wearing $1,000 sneakers, Ways that we and and I as a pastor have set up tables of exclusion and exploitation in the very places meant for worship and meant to tell the story of God's salvation. Because of church hurt and pain, I know that some of you have found yourselves in a season of spiritual homelessness, feeling like a spiritual refugee, not because of Jesus, but because of the communities that claim Jesus' name. And for the sake of your faith and for the sake of your own authenticity, you've, you've walked a road of faith deconstruction and question and wonder and the temptation of bitterness because of grief experienced in the contemporary temple courts. That's where you are. So to you, child of God, I, I want to say I see you. I'm sorry for the hurt. And I'm proud of you for your journey. I hope that today on this Palm Sunday that you see from Matthew's Gospel that Jesus sees you too. And that's why he cleansed the temple then and why he is by his Spirit continuing to cleanse temples and renew communities of faith to more faithfully reflect his Gospel of love and grace and mercy. And I do pray that today on this first day of Holy Week that that you experience in some measure the healing that Jesus offered to the wounded on that first Palm Sunday. And that perhaps today, for the first time in a while, you can say, even in a whisper, Hosanna, God save us. Just as the children did so courageously, even in the scowling faces of religious authorities. Jesus cleansed the temple. He didn't destroy it, though. I don't think that's a distinction to make. He cleansed it, he didn't destroy it, and he remade it in order that it might more faithfully reflect the nature of his kingdom. And he now invites us to that same work, not temples built of stones and timber, but of relationships and people and communities of healing. That was a full day, you know, for Jesus. I mean, you know, there's a lot going on. Rides into town on a donkey, <clears throat> He engages in some political protests. There's a worship service with palm branches. He leads like an economic boycott. And then there's like healing and deliverance services, a theological debate with religious leaders. I mean, yo, that's a full day. And then we come to uh, verse 17. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. At the end of it, Jesus slips out of the city He left the work, left the celebration, and he went away to rest. He left Jerusalem and he went to Bethany, which is just under two miles away. It's about the distance from Union Station to Minor Elementary School, slightly shorter than the distance of the National Mall. Jesus got away and he rested. Jesus practiced self-care. Even though he was God incarnate, he still limited himself. He made sure that he didn't run on empty. He didn't heal everybody in Jerusalem. There's still work to do. 'Cause there's always more work to do and even jesus left it and entrusted it to god to the one who saves and he got away to be refreshed to remember his own humanity and to bask in the relationship that he had with his heavenly father saints rest it's okay to rest continue to cultivate healthy rhythms of work and rest and a right relationship with labor and sabbath Just as Jesus in the passage models for us what it means to protest the empires of the day and Jesus shows us what it is to worship our God and reminds us that our work is that of healing and welcome, he pushes us to continue to reflect theologically even. Jesus also demonstrates for us that rest is sacred and necessary. Saints, rest. Perhaps what you need this Palm Sunday is to carve out intentional time to rest with your Lord and let God's healing and refreshment wash over you. If that's what the Spirit is inviting you towards today, then don't delay. The work can wait. The healing, the protesting, and everything else, it will wait. Find your rest in the Lord today. When when Jesus entered the city, people shouted and sang, Hosanna, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. They said to one another, our God saves. Songs of hope and rescue, songs of kingdom imagination, songs that led them into a week of reflection on the days when God did rescue, did free, and did liberate. I pray that this Palm Sunday serves a similar function for us and finds us lending our voices to the chorus that announces the arrival of the one who saves. And remembering when our salvation occurred on a cross, in a tomb, and in a resurrection. Because Hosanna, our God, He saves.